if I were to ask you, um, you know, based on yesterday's sessions for those who were here, but also just based on Christian experience, what do you think is the primary reason why we worship? There's a lot of reasons. What do you think is the primary reason why we worship? Because we're commanded to worship. Good, we're commanded to worship, to love the Lord our God with all of our being. Good, so it's obedience. What else? We are created to worship. Alliteration, no. (laughs) We're created to worship. So um, Revelation 4, we studied yesterday. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Uh, For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. So we're created to worship. We said yesterday we're uh, saved to worship. Have no C for that. Um, But, you know, we rebelled, and then we were saved in order to worship. And uh, we won't go through all of that today, but Ephesians 1 is talking about the glories of salvation how blessed we are to give these, uh, you know, we should be lost and, and damned, and instead we are welcomed, forgiven, adopted, justified, redeemed. And um, it says three times in Ephesians 1 that we are saved, that we should be to the praise of his glory. Ephesians 1, 6, and then 12, and then 14. So it's all for God's glory, not for us. Anything else come to mind why we worship? Yeah, I would say just we worship because God deserves it. He's, he's worthy of it. God is so praiseworthy. His uh, character, his beauties, his excellencies just deserve it. You know, you go to the Grand Canyon, and if you go to the Grand Canyon and you're, you're looking at it, and you say like, wow, that is beautiful. That, that doesn't show how wise you are. It just shows how amazing that object is. When we look at God and all of his beauty, we give him glory because he deserves it. So uh, we studied yesterday from uh, Psalm 96, we give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. We worship God primarily for God's sake is the point. You know, there are a lot of churches that they're going to gather for worship this morning, and they're going to use music especially as, as a means of attracting people. You know, they will uh, have a book by Rick Warren, The Purpose Driven Church, and he says, you know, the kind of music you use will be the factor on the kind of people you attract. And, you know, basically, if you want to see your church grow, you need to use music that people like. So we could take surveys and say, you know, what, what do people want to hear in church? And more and more people want church to not be like church. Um, and they're, they're using worship, ostensibly worship, to attract the lost or to, you know, to, to feel something ourselves. Remember I used that illustration yesterday that it would be ridiculous on my, on my daughter's fifth birthday, you know, to, uh, to buy her a commentary set that I've been looking at, to have a cake that's decorated with my favorite sporting event. It's not about me, it's about her, the one we're honoring. Well, we want to honor the Lord and we're going to get some benefits, but the benefits that we get from worship are kind of trickle-down benefits. The focus of worship is God. You know, that Isaiah 6 or the, the Revelation 4 and 5, we're focused on Him. We're going hard after Him. We're honoring Him. And it's good for us 
But that's secondary. We worship God because he's so worthy of our worship. So we come in on Sunday morning, and um, you know, you're dragging a little bit, maybe need some more coffee, just kind of waking up. But we have the privilege to be gathering with like-minded people, brothers and sisters, and gazing on the Lord for his glory. Just, just you know, it, it doesn't have to be utilitarian. Worship is not utilitarian. What I mean by that is not, we don't worship because it does something for us. You know, we get a benefit and it, it's helpful. We just worship God because he's that awesome. You know, it's just the, the goal of worship is the glory of God. But we do get benefits from it. And I'm talking about this, uh, that this morning. Does it say up there? It doesn't say that. The theme for the morning is kind of the effect of worship on us. You know, how does worship affect us? Warren Wearsby, any of you ever listen to or read uh, Warren Wearsby, all the B-series, B the commentaries, and got to hear him uh, preach one time in Michigan. I'll never forget, that. just had the perfect illustration. Uh, Psalm 1, blessed is the man who is separated from the world, uh, saturated with the word, and situated by the water. I heard that when I was 17, and stupid, and it's still stuck in my head. You know, now I'm 50 and stupid, but it's still in my head. Well, Warren Wiersbe said, true spiritual worship ought to contribute something powerful and lasting to our personalities, our relationships, our service, our total lives as Christians. If true worship is anything, it is a transforming experience. So we worship for the glory of God, but it affects us. Now, I think of it this way. I, I'm, I'm spending time in the sun and what's going to happen to me? The more time I spend in the sun, the, the what's going to happen to me? Yeah, I mean, you, you look at me and you're like, we can tell you're going to get burned, pal. <laughs> and, and I will. You know, I, I have two, two colors, white or red. Um, as a kid, I just was in the sun all the time. And, um, you know, we didn't, didn't worry about stuff like lotion. And uh, now I've started to have some little cancer spots that I've had to have removed. And, uh, but let's, let's take it in a better sense. The more, the more time I spend in the sun, ideally, the more tan I'm going to get. It's going to affect me. It's going to change me. Well, the more time we spend in the presence of God, it's going to affect us. It'll change us. And in some ways, we're going to reflect him. And that's why I start today in Psalm uh, 115, one of my favorites. Psalm 115 starts with this statement, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory. Okay, that you, you need to make Psalm 115.1 just kind of a life verse. Something good happens. You know, the, the church grows. You get a raise. You get a new job. You have some success. And your knee jerk should be, not to, no glory to me. All the glory goes to God. You know, unto your name be glory. For your mercy and for your truth's sake, now verse 2, wherefore, why should the heathen say, where is now their God? Okay, so you have these pagan nations, and their gods are, are made of wood or stone or metal, and this is my God, where's your God? And a Jew might say, well, I, I can't really point to him, 
He's spirit. He's, he's not an object. So the nations might be mocking us, but now listen to what he says. But our God is in the heavens. You know, he's not on a stand. We didn't make him. Isaiah is going to joke about, you know, they, they cut down a tree. Part of it they burn. Part of it they carve into an idol, and it's ridiculous. Our God is, is in the heavens. He, he made the heavens. And I love this regarding the definition of God's sovereignty. You know, what does it mean that God is sovereign? Verse 3, our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. What does God do? Whatever he wants. You know, so, so you can talk about the details of sovereignty, but God just does whatever he wants. You know, he's not up in heaven like, like oh my goodness, what am I going to do about Russia and Ukraine? This is terrifying. I didn't see that coming. A friend of mine used to say, did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurred to God? He doesn't learn. He's not surprised. He's not wringing his hands. He does whatever he wants. You know, and, and, and the Bible is so clear, even with politics and nations, he, he's controlling everything. The, the heart of the king is in his hand. You know, why does he allow things to go like they do? His wise purposes. But he does whatever he wants. Now, let's talk about idols by comparison. Verse 4. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. So we're made in the image of God. Their gods are made in the image of man. I mean, it's totally reversed. So backwards. He's going to start mocking them. Verse 5, they have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet they have, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. You get the idea. Right? He's being pretty, um, pretty extensive in his mockery and description. Verse 8, and we'll stop here. Verse 8, they that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. So he says, all right, our God is in the heavens doing what he wants. We give him glory, not, not glory to us, but unto him. And they laugh at us because our God isn't supposedly present, not visible. But let's talk about the gods that they make, that they carry around. You know, the, the, there's times it's, it's comical in Scripture um, where you have like Dagon is... Uh, Dagon is set up next to the Ark of the Covenant, and then he's found the next day face down, or the next day face down with his hands cut off, or, you know, God's just kind of making fun of them. But then he says, the people who worship them are like them. That's the point I want to get to today, that you become like the thing you worship. I mean, that's even true. That's even true in human relationships. You know, how many of you um, you have a, have a son or daughter, don't raise your hand, but you have or had a son or daughter, and they might have had a friend that they really admired, and they want to be like that friend. They want to dress like that friend. They want to talk like that friend. You know, it, that's why it should, it should get your attention if your children are idolizing, you know, certain figures that, that maybe aren't commendable. They, you know, if Used to be, I was going to say, if they're pouring over like teen magazines, magazines, young people, that, just forget about it. Uh, magazines are these paper things people used to work through. Um, 
But, you know, if, if they're always focused on beauty tips and they're following, uh, you know, on Instagram, that's it. If they're following on Instagram, you know, some star, they're trying to be like that person. That can be a bad thing on a human level, but even more so on a divine level. Peter, Peter Lightheart says, it is a fundamental truth of Scripture that we become like whatever or whomever we worship. D.A. Carson says, worship properly understood shapes who we are. We become like whoever is our God. When I was studying on uh, the importance of Christian music and, you know, good Christian music, Christian music that reminds us of Scripture, that points us Godward, um, there's a statement by a man named Begbie, and he says, this is important because we don't just make music, music makes us. You know, the things that we're, we're focusing on, memorizing and meditating on, it, it shapes who we are. And in a negative sense, if, if we're worshiping idols, we become like them and it's going to be bad for us. Oh, but there's a positive side. When we spend time in the presence of God, we are becoming more and more like Him. You know, why, why is it good that, um, you know, just let, let me commend you for something. You're, you are in church at 930 you could have waited till 10.30, but you're going to get two messages today. Why is that good? Because actually, two messages is going to be twice as effective in exposing you to the Scriptures, exposing you to God, and making you more like Him. I mean, isn't that, isn't that kind of the measure of godliness in Scripture? We, we even call it godliness. We're, we're becoming more like Him, less like ourselves. Okay, so God is going to say, Be ye holy... Why? Because I am holy. Okay? Or we're commanded to, um, to be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, one another, one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. A lot of our Christian virtues, uh, we call the, the, the virtues of God communicable, the ones that he shares with us. He doesn't share sovereignty with us. He doesn't share omniscience with us or om, omnipotence or omnipresence, but, but there are some communicable. They're contagious, and we are to love as he loved. We love because he first loved us. We forgive as he forgave us. We are holy as he is holy. 2 Corinthians 1 will say, we comfort others with the comfort that we have received. Okay, so our virtues are mirroring his virtues and the more time we spend in his presence studying who he is, it ought to make us more like him. We saw that in Isaiah. Okay, so Isaiah sees the Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. He, he says, woe is me. I'm undone. I'm overwhelmed. I'm grieved by my sin because I'm unclean. I live among unclean people. And then there's this coal taken from the altar that comes and, and purges his sins figuratively, only the blood of Christ can do that, but as he looks at the holy God, he is humbled, and then he is made more holy. So it's a benefit that when we're worshiping the Lord, we are being changed into his image. 
Okay, isn't that the goal of the Christian life? Romans 8, 28 and 29. You know, we, we love Romans 8, 28 when something bad happens. Can I just tell you as a, as a friend, let me give you a piece of advice. You know, somebody loses a loved one. Don't immediately attack them with Romans 8, 28. <laughs> Their heart is broken. Don't just say, well, all things work together for good. You know, on the bright side, just shh. Just tell them, I'm so sorry. And I'm praying for you. And I'm here if you need to talk, but let me just give you a hug. And then later, let me try to speak some truth to you. But, you know, Romans 8.28, for some people, is just a stick that they hit people with when, when they're hurting. But the longer story of Romans 8.28, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be what? Conformed to the image of his son. Okay, I, I still wouldn't tell somebody who just had a miscarriage. Well, the good news is God is using this to make you more like Jesus. It's true, just shut up for a little bit and shh, just sorrow. You know, the, the, the Psalms of lament. Oh, my heart is breaking. I'm so sorry. Empathize. You know, weep with those who weep, uh, Romans 12, 15. And then later come in and, and help them see some perspective in time. Right, God is working to make us more and more like Jesus. Warren Wiersbe again, as we worship the true God in spirit and in truth, we are transformed to become more like him. What we are and what we do are both determined by what we worship. Now, remember, the primary reason of worship is God deserves it. So it's not utilitarian. We don't just do it because it helps us. We worship God because he deserves it. Oh, but being in his presence is ennobling. It, it makes us better people. You know, the more, we're, the more we're around him, the more we're going to be like him. Even Proverbs is going to say, you know, to choose your friends wisely because, because they're going to have an effect on you. He that walks with the wise uh, will become wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Well, if you become wiser by hanging out with wiser people... Doesn't it make sense that you become more godly the more time you spend with God? That's why I said not just church, but, but even your time in the Word. You know, your, your time in the Word, use your commute to listen to sermons. Um, instead, of, you know, instead of listening to Garth Brooks, which is fine. Now, I'm not opposed to, to you enjoy different kinds of music. It's up to you. I, I'm not going to try to determine your spirituality by your radio station. But I'll tell you this, you know, singing along with Garth Brooks is not going to make you more like Christ. You know, it's not going to grow you, change you. Now, you're, you're listening to Christian music with biblical lyrics. You're listening you know, to music that is, is talking about the wonders of our salvation. That will change you. You know, you're going to be humming it and singing it. And it's it's going to be so good for you. The time you spend in the Word is not devotions that you check off your list. You know, some people are so superstitious about devotions. Like, ah, oh, I got up late, I didn't have my devotions, and don't you know it, I got a flat tire. Okay. Okay. That, is, that is just terrible theology. You know, it has a picture of God like, if you don't give me five minutes this morning, I'm going to mess with you all day long, pal. You know, do you ever do that little, little Bonnie Fufu? 
Little bunny foo-foo walking through the forest, picking up the field mice, bopping them on the head. It's a view of God that if you don't, if you don't pray this morning, he's going to bop you. And that's ridiculous. You don't spend time in the Word to feel better about yourself or to avoid you know, flat tires or good luck charm. You spend time with God this morning because it's a delight, it's a joy, because he's awesome, and it will affect you. You know, start reading good Christian books. You, you got yesterday uh, Corporate Worship by Matt Merker. That book will grow you. So you, you don't read that book because you're awesome. You're not. Psalm 115.1, no glory to you. You read that book because you want to learn more about God. And the more you learn about God, the more like him you become. You know, you, you're praying, Lord, uh, for me, I'm Chris. Lord, make me less like Chris and more like Christ, more like Jesus. You know, I, I have a bad temper. I'm critical. I'm negative. My, my self-talk is just, you know, griping. I don't want to be like that. I want to be like you. I want to evidence the fruit of the Spirit. Make me more like you. And I'm not only praying that, but I'm in the Word, and I'm using Christian music. I'm reading Christian books. I'm listening to sermons. I'm exposing myself to the sun so I get, you know, a better tan and no cancer. You know, the, the analogy breaks down because you, you cannot possibly spend too much time with God. You know, it's so good for you. Now, we're finally getting to the main text, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Second Corinthians, uh, much of it, Paul is kind of defending his ministry against criticism. And uh, often I think he just took criticism and didn't respond. But he would respond if criticizing him would cause people to have a negative thought about Christianity or about the church. So he would defend his apostleship. In Second Corinthians 3, he's going to compare what he teaches in the gospel and the focus of grace, he's going to compare it or contrast it with Moses, with the old covenant, uh, with the law, okay? And in doing so, he's going to talk about Moses' face shining. You remember when Moses would go into the presence of God and they'd come down to the people, his face would actually shine. That's what I'm talking about. You spend time with God and, and it causes you to, to reflect him and, and Moses was showing that. And it was so terrifying to the people that, that he put on a veil to kind of cover that up. All right, let's start our reading in verse 7. 2 Corinthians 3 7. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, we're talking about the Ten Commandments, the law, if that was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, it was second-hand glory, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? If the law, which condemned, showed the glory of God on the face of Moses, how much more 
will the gospel, which pardons us through the Spirit, show the glory of God even more, is what he's saying. So verse 9, for if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more does, uh, doth the ministration of righteousness exceed its glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect, by reason of the glory that excelleth. The gospel is so much better than the law. Verse 11. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Seeing that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, and this is genius, you know, not Paul's genius, I guess the Holy Spirit's genius as he inspired it. He says, their minds were blinded, verse 14, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. So he says, they're looking at Moses, they're seeing glory, not the ultimate glory, but glory. He veils his face so they won't see it. And he says, now, I'm going to use that literal veil as, a, as an illustration. Unbelieving Jews reading the scriptures still had a veil. It's like they had a veil on. Okay, so they still couldn't see the glory of God, not just in the face of Moses, but in the scriptures. Okay, it's, it's what 1 Corinthians says in 1 Corinthians 2.14 when it says the natural man, the unsaved man, receives not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. Unsaved people on their own can't understand and apply the Scriptures on their own. They need help. They, they need the Spirit of God. Okay, we, we which are saved, we, we comprehend these things because we have the Spirit. His, his ministry, what we call it, is illumination. Illumination. We're in the dark. We're blinded. We can't see a thing. And just out of His mercy, in spite of us, He does an initiating work and He turns the light on. And, whoa, now I can see. The Spirit of God did that. If you're a saved person, you're saved because God opened your eyes. And no glory to you, Psalm 115.1. God, God just did that because he's, he's so awesome. So God opens their eyes. That veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, verse 15, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. All right, so when people turn to Christ, the veil is taken away. Now the, the, now the Lord is that spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Verse 18. But we all, he's talking to the Corinthian church, carnal as they were, and they were a mess, but, but they were Christians. He says, but we all, with open face, what does open face mean? Unveiled. Our, our eyes have been opened. We all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are, say the next several words with me, are changed into the same image 
from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. When we, enabled by the Spirit, are looking at Scripture, are looking at God, are looking at Christ, God is doing something miraculous. Right? You're, you're not going to speak in tongues. You're not going to see a vision. You're not going to float. You're not going to... But you're going to be changed. All right? and, and only God can do that. He does it through His Word. He does it through His character, through His power, by His grace. But when you're worshiping God, it changes you. The, the Word, when it says we are changed into His image from one degree of glory to the next... He's been talking about there's the lost glory, there's the gospel's exceeding glory. But the more we look, we're changed from one level of glory to the next. We get more and more like Christ. Not perfectly yet, but we become more like Him when we spend time with Him. Worship changes you. You guys know the Wilds Christian Camp? Uh, Ken Collier? I love that guy. I remember I was a student uh, in college. I think I was a freshman, long, long, long time ago. And I remember him uh, speaking during a Wilds concert they were doing at my college. He said, the Holy Spirit of God uses the Holy Word of God to make us more like the Holy Son of God. That's good. The Holy Spirit of God uses the Holy Word of God to make us more like the Holy Son of God, and then we could just say, all for the glory of God. You know, but He's changing us through His Word. He's changing us, whether we're in corporate worship with our church family, whether you're reading the Bible with your family, you know, even if it's just a quick you know, daily bread. Daily bread is, is not going like, to grow your soul, but it, it's time in the Word. It, you know, it shouldn't be the only time in the Word, but it's going to be good for you. You know, whether you, you sing a family hymn, my kids used to love that. They, I think they felt like we were getting away with something. When we would have a, a meal, and um, rather than saying grace, we would sing it, and we would sing like, thank you, Lord, or something, and they would kind of giggle and like, oh my goodness, this is so amazing, All right? And just teaching them that, honey, worship is delightful, and, and we give thanks to God, and the more we do that, it, it changes us. Robert Murray McChain, godly Scottish pastor of centuries ago, said, a gaze or a glance, excuse me, a glance at Christ will save, but it is the gazing at Christ that sanctifies. Okay, I, I love this, and, and you know, we'll we'll kind of move to a conclusion, but the Bible talks about that image of looking to God. And, you know, the first look to God saves. So we have, what is it, Isaiah 45, 22? Look unto me, all the ends of the earth, and be saved. You know, I am God, there's no other. But look unto me and be saved. Or, John 1, 29, you know this. Behold the Lamb of God. What's that mean, behold the Lamb of God? Look at him. Look 
at the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You look to Jesus and be saved. Just look. Spurgeon would preach this sermon. Just look to Jesus and be saved. You know, the idea of of the uh, illustration of the golden serpent. You know, people are perishing. The golden serpent is lifted up. and, And John 3 is going to use that analogy and say, as he was lifted up, even so must the Son of God be lifted up on a cross, and whoever believes in him will be saved. You look to Jesus to be saved. Okay, but remember, when you got saved, you didn't immediately go to heaven. You're still here. You're forgiven. You're justified. But you're still sinful. You're still struggling with your flesh. You're still living in the world. You need to grow to be more like Christ. So a look to to Christ justifies you, saves you. Gazing on Christ sanctifies you. So you keep looking at him. Listen. Christian growth, Christian growth doesn't happen because you try so hard. You know, you're saved by faith in Christ. But then, man, you got to keep the rules, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I always wonder, why do people say that? Because imagine I'm wearing boots, and I reach down and I grab my boots to try to elevate myself. I'm going to pick myself up by grabbing my boots. And you're like, well, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, right? You're not going to grow just because you try harder. Have, have, you, have you been through that before? Come on now, I'm, not, I'm never going to have an improper thought again. Oh, man, sorry, okay. Forgive me for that. I'm never going to, oh, shoot. And, you know, and you just, Paul would say, wretched man that I am, why do I do the things I hate and the things I want to do I can't do and I need help, right? You need to be looking to Christ, Okay, trying to grow as a Christian in your own effort, with your own willpower, it's like taking a worm and gluing on some paper wings and telling it to fly. It's not going to fly. But when we look to Christ, look again at 3.18. When we, with Unveiled face, the Spirit of God has opened our eyes to the truth, and we behold as in a glass the glory of the Lord. We are changed into His image. We're changed to be like Him from one glory, uh, degree of glory to the next. That word change, um, I said yesterday, it's almost never useful to use Greek words. All right, we talked about that. Raymer and Nate, we talked about it. it's, it's almost never helpful to tell people Greek words because they won't remember them. This one I'm going to tell you. The word for changed in 2 Corinthians 3.18 is a Greek word, metamorpho. What does that sound like in English? So, sometimes we're so lazy we don't even come up with a new word. We just take a Greek word and add an S or something. There's a metamorphosis. There is a transformation that happens. Okay, remember I used the illustration of a worm and you tie wings on or you glue wings on and it's not going to work? 
But, but you know where I'm going, right? I mean, how amazing is, is it that God just to show his creativity and his power and, you know, maybe whimsically. I'm going to take this fuzzy little worm and he's going to make a cocoon and disappear for a while. And he's going to come out of that cocoon and be a beautiful butterfly. And from now on, he's not inching his way along a branch. He's taking flight. God does that. Okay, the Christian life, if you're trying, if you're trying in your own power to take flight, you're, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to get squished. But you spend time in the Bible. You spend time with Christ. You keep looking at him. You keep worshiping him. And as you worship him, the Spirit of God does something amazing. He makes you more like him. So you are justified by looking to Christ. Behold the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. Look to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. You are sanctified by looking to Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Even the idea of Psalm 115. What's the next step? We, we have been justified. We are being sanctified. We will be glorified. How do you think that's going to happen? 1 John 3. While you're turning, let me just say, I didn't take us into 2 Corinthians 4, but it, it shows that look to Christ when we're blind and God just miraculously says, let there be light in your dark soul. And, and you see the glory of God in the face of Jesus and you're saved. So 2 Corinthians 4 actually is going to go back to justification, but seeing God saves. Now, 1 John 3, 1, and we're done. I can find First John. Keep going. We'll go ahead and go to verse 1. Behold, what manner of love, what amazing love. This is awe. This is wonder. What amazing love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it knew him not. I mean, how amazing is it that wretches like us get to be called the children of God? That's amazing. Oh, but we're not done. But wait, there's more. Verse 2. Beloved, we are now the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, future, but we know that when he shall appear, when he returns, we shall be like him. Why? Let's read it together. Why shall we be like him? For we shall see him as he is. Your initial look to Christ in faith justifies you. You're saved. Your ongoing gazing at Christ through, through worship, through the word, is changing you to be more like him. Okay, but, but it's not a perfect look. We're still kind of afar. And, and we're not going to be perfectly like him on earth. But the day will come when we're with him and seeing him clearly face to face will not only worship him, which is a beautiful thought. You know, the, the, the loved one that knew Christ and has passed used to worship from afar and now is worshiping face to face. That's amazing. 
but it changes the person, and we will be like him because we see him. So we are glorified by seeing Christ, and then we're finally made into his image. We're going to be like him. We're still not going to be omnipotent, omniscient, you know, but we're going to be clean. We're going to be selfless. We won't have to deal with temptation. Come, Lord Jesus. So Christianity from beginning to end is the work of God. You look to him to be saved. You keep looking to him through worship, and, and you're growing imperfectly. You know, your, your trajectory of Christian growth is not going to be like this. It's going to be like this, and, you know, ah, ah, but there's a steady climb. And then finally, we're in the presence of the Lord. We see him, and we, we become like him. That's not the goal of worship. The goal of worship is the glory of God. But a, a pretty great side effect of worship is that it changes us to be less like our old selves and more like Jesus. And, and he's doing it all. He is indeed the author and finisher of our faith. It's, it's grace from beginning to end. It's Christ from beginning to end. Uh, what a blessing that is. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of Scripture. We, we want to experience more of this. We're all frustrated. If, if we're honest, we're all frustrated with ourselves. Uh, we don't come here today congratulating ourselves on how godly we are because we know in our hearts that we are the chief of sinners. I thank you for forgiveness through Christ's blood. I thank you for transformation as we gaze on Christ through Scripture, as we worship him, as, as your spirit works in us. I pray that you do that more. Make us more and more like